All right, here's Greg Boyd. Uh, that was Ruth Richmond, by the way. You didn't introduce yourself. That's Ruth Richmond. Uh, she's on our worship team. Dr. Ruth. Uh, we, she's a very quirky person. I love her. She's just, just you probably picked that up. Just a little, uh, you know, it's just odd. Like I should throw the first stone on that one. And thanks for warming up my seat. It's usually so cold. And now it's, it's good to know that they're showing the, the, the sermon out there in real time as opposed to virtual time or artificial time or what relative time. I don't know. I'm Greg Boyd. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Woodland Hills Church. I'm into week four of my no shaving policy. All right. I'm looking like I'm on. Finally. Uh, thanks to Jeff Lexfold. My friend Jeff uh, filled in last week. I uh, really appreciated that. It gave, uh, uh, hey, he, he did great. He did great. Gave us a chance for my, uh, to celebrate my mother in law's 75th uh, birthday. And uh, had some time with the family, and it was great. I also want to encourage you, if you're not in a uh, small group, to consider joining one of these small groups, these temporary small groups that we'll be having during uh, this relatively speaking series that we're doing. Uh, where we're going to be looking at relationships and relatives and, and family and, and singleness and a number of other things. Um, and though in the small groups, it allows you to go deeper into the topic than we get in uh, into the messages here because my messages, everyone knows, are quite shallow. So this gives you a chance to go into them in more depth, but you also get to meet people. It's so important to, to meet people and, and, and develop relationships and stuff like that. So I encourage you to uh, uh, consider doing that. One, one other thing, and then we'll get into this. Uh, keep Norm in prayer. You may have noticed that Norm hasn't been up here. It's because he's having some uh, issues with his, his voice. And um, uh, we don't know how long it's going to take to recover from that, but keep him in prayer, if you would, okay? That uh, he'll experience a full healing in that. We are in the book of Colossians. One more series, uh, one more sermon that we're going to do before we get into the Relatively Speaking series. So we're going to take a break, a six-week break from Colossians. But we're in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, this is, I think, the third or the fourth time we're looking at this uh, hymn that Paul gives us here, uh, this magnificent hymn uh, in, in this passage. I want to entitle this uh, message, The Creator of the Little, for reasons that will become clear here in, in a little bit. And I want to read from verses 15 through 17, where Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, those are different classes of archangels in, in, in the ancient world. Uh, those, those were terms that were used to describe these high-ranking angels. We'll talk more about them in the weeks to come. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I, uh, as I was preparing this, this message this week, I, I just got an excitement about it. Uh, and also a sense of urgency about it uh, that that this is uh, that that God would just use this message to reframe how we do life, permanently reframe how we look at the world and experience the world, His creation and us as His creation. It's a message that is we'll see here uh, very theological. So keep your thinking caps on, but it's also one that we'll see is, is incredibly practical. Uh, and so I want to pray here for a moment that God just infuses this word with his authority and power to change us and to bring his kingdom in, into, into our lives. We pray with me here? But Father, I thank you for every person in this auditorium, every person listening through podcasts and television, any other way, Lord. I, I thank you, God, that you love them and that you've been involved, deeply involved in our lives, uh, leading us up to this point, this moment, right here, right now. 
And we pray, Lord, you make it a kingdom moment by baptizing it in your spirit and baptizing it in your wisdom and giving us ears to hear and a heart to receive your word deeply. And, and God, change us. Drive out everything that's not of you and, and, and impress in on us everything that is of you. As we now talk about your, your glorious creation. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. I'm going to first talk about what it means to just believe and what it means to live in the belief that, all, that the world was created by God. And then I'm going to, uh, by Christ, and then I'm going to talk about what it means to live in the belief that, that all things have been created for Christ. So by Christ and for Christ. But before I even get into that, um, I want to address a preliminary issue. It's an issue that I get asked about quite frequently. In fact, it's an issue that I've had two requests in the last two weeks for people, uh, for, from people for me to talk on. When you mention creation in a Christian context, especially an evangelical context, the first thing that comes to a lot of, people, a lot of people's minds is the whole creation-evolution debate. And so I'm going to spend a word weighing in on that. People want to know kind of where our church is on that. Um, the issue is that many assume, many Christians assume, that to believe that the world was created by Christ and that we're in the image of Christ, to believe that means that you have to deny the theory of evolution. And that causes some, some cognitive dissonance for some of us uh, because a lot of folks who, who study the evidence behind evolution find the evidence pretty compelling. And so they're forced to choose Christ or the theory of evolution. And for many, they think, well, I just can't, in, in, with integrity, deny what I think about this. Now, here, here's, here's my take on this, and it's just my take on this. This is not the official position of Woodland Hills Church. We don't have an official position here because we don't care enough about this issue to have a, 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 a position. There are people all over the place have different views on it. We're fine with that. But, but here, here's how I see it. To believe that the world is created by Christ and that we're in the image of Christ clearly rules out, rules out believing that human beings are sort of just the result of time and chance, natural selection with nat, nat, random mutations and and, and, you know, just processes, the laws of nature just unfolding as they do. Um, no, we're made on purpose with intentionality. And, and, and that means we're just not the product of, of, of natural selection or something of the sort. So if that's what someone means by evolution, I totally agree that, that, that Christian, the Christian faith is incompatible with the theory, the secular, the atheistic, naturalistic theory of evolution. But I don't believe that being a follower of Jesus and being one who believes in the Bible uh, means that you, that you have to rule out the idea that God may have used evolution as a way of creating us in his image. Um, the only thing that's at stake in this issue, so far as I can see, is how we're going to interpret a couple passages of the Bible. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. How do you interpret that? Um, but I don't think that should bother us too much because there's thousands of passages that Christians interpret differently. Why make this one a deal breaker? You know? and, and in reality, there are a, a number of ways of, of integrating uh, uh, the theory of evolution with a Christian faith in, in uh, creation and that human beings are made in his image. There's a number of different ways. Paul Eddy and I uh, discussed four uh, views on this matter in our book, Across the Spectrum. Across the Spectrum, you can get that in, uh, out in the gathering area if you want. It's a book that covers a lot of different issues that Christians disagree on. And we just kind of present all the options there. Uh, but there's a number of ways of, of doing it. Uh, the bottom line for me is this. I, 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 I'm honestly grieved that there are some who maybe would believe in Christ and come into the life of the kingdom and be transformed by the love of, of God in the kingdom. They would have done that, but they felt that to do that, they had to deny evolution 
And therefore, they couldn't with integrity do that. And now they're outside the kingdom. And I just find that to be tragic. And so for me, you know, I really don't care. I really don't care if you think the earth is 4.6 billion years old or if you think it's 10,000 years old. I really don't care if, if you think God, you take the passage literally where it says God made Adam from the dust of the earth or whether you think that that's a kind of an ancient metaphorical way of describing how God did it through a long, slow process. I don't care. What I do care about is this. Whatever you believe on this, wherever you land on this, don't hold your position so dogmatically that, that you make it uh, agreeing with you a precondition for getting into the kingdom. Okay? Uh, that's an unnecessary obstacle. I, you know, Jesus, when he was dying on the cross and the thief said, can I be with you today in paradise? He didn't say, well, what's your view of how old the earth is or, or evolution? <laughs> yeah. It's about faith in Christ. And these are good things to discuss and debate and dialogue about and whatever. But, but don't make it a precondition for getting in uh, to uh, the, the, the kingdom of God. How it came about is not the central point. Who it came about through, that's the central point. And what we find revealed in the New Testament from beginning to the end is that uh, all things, this is the passage, what's the passage that we're looking at this morning, says all things have been, been created by Christ and through Christ and for Christ. It all exists for him. And so to believe that the world is created by Christ and that we're in the image of Christ, uh, it doesn't resolve any issues about the mechanism that God used to bring us here. But what it does uh, communicate, what it does speak to is what the result is. To believe that the world is created by Christ means that you see the entire world, the universe, and everything in the universe as, as his artwork. You are, a, you are an, an artistic masterpiece of God. Uh, and, and, and you are designed by him. And the world is, displays his artistic skills and his infinite wisdom. And, and all the plants and all the, the, the animals, the cats and the birds and the bees and the trees and the sun and the stars and the galaxies and the quasars and, and everything, except mosquitoes, they're of the devil, but everything else <laughs> puts on, on display the beauty of Jesus Christ and the artistry of Jesus Christ. It's all created by him. But those mosquitoes are of the devil, little demonic creatures. Here's, here's something else this passage says that I just think is so profound about what it means to believe and live in the belief that the world's been created by Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says that in him all things hold together. I love this. In him all things hold together. Uh, the book of Hebrews speaks about this as well when it says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And he's the only one who is that. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Look at that concept. He sustains all things by his powerful word. It means that Christ didn't create the universe 14 billion years ago or however old you think the universe is. He didn't create it and then sit back to see how it's going to unfold. Like set it in motion and then it takes care of itself. Rather, he, he, he speaks it into existence, but then he continues to hold it moment by moment. He continues to sustain it to speak it into existence moment by moment. He holds it up by his powerful word. Every nanosecond, we're held in existence by the powerful word of Christ. I'm up here talking to you because he's still saying, Greg Boyd, Greg, he's holding me. And I, I, I'm, I'm the expression of his, if he ever shuts up, I'm done. <laughs> so if I'm up here and I just disappear at some time, you'll know that he just decided to be quiet. He's holding me in existence and holding you in existence and holding all things in existence by his powerful word. On the border of France and Switzerland, scientists have constructed this enormous underground apparatus called a Hadron Collider. You may have heard about it. And it's designed to shoot protons at one another at close to the speed of light, to have them collide. And among other things, they're looking for what some are calling the God particle. Have you read about this? 
the God particle. It's the Higgs boson. And this is a theoretical particle, which, uh, if it turns out to exist, would explain how anything has mass. Because we don't know that yet. How is it that things have mass? Which is related to the question of how do things hold together in a substantial way? The, the, the God particle. And a few arrogant scientists uh, have claimed that uh, when they discover this particle, it will render obsolete the belief in a creator. Because, see, this particle now means that the universe is self-explanatory. And that, that we can now understand that the universe, you know, how it came into being and how it stays in being because of this Higgs boson. Holds all things in existence. We don't need God any longer. And I just want to go on record as saying that is a bunch of caca. Uh, just a bunch of... <laughs> which is Christianese for something else I might want to say. It's just... Nonsense! It's, it's absolute nonsense! It, whether they discover the Higgs boson or not, and there's rumors that they're getting close to it, it's completely irrelevant. If they discover the Higgs boson, that just means there's one more particle that we know about that Christ holds in existence, because he holds all things in existence, alright? Amen! And it may be, it may be for all I know, that, that he's holding the Higgs boson in existence as a way of holding everything else in existence. This is the means by which he gives everything else mass. That's fine, who cares? But see, Christ holds all things in existence, and all things means all things. And so if there is a Higgs boson out there, that kind of particle, well, then he's the one who's holding in existence. And he's the one who holds the protons in existence, and the electrons, and the neutrinos, and the hadrons, and the quarks, and the fermions, and the leptides, and the anti-leptides, and the matter, and the antimatter, and the light matter, and the dark matter. It doesn't matter. It's all held together in Christ. It's all he's doing. He sustains it by his powerful word. And I'm up here talking to you because he's sustaining me, and you're here listening to me because he's sustaining you. And, and you parishioners, if you're jogging or doing the dishes or whatever it is, you're doing it because he's sustaining you in existence. And he's sustaining the, the, the chair I'm sitting on, the platform here, the entire church here, the entire area, the whole earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, and on and on and on. He sustains it all by his powerful world. He holds it together. If you ever stop doing that, ever stop speaking that, psh, there'd be nothingness. And now, and now realize this. And Lord, help us to, to step into this and put it on sort of a frame that we're going to carry with us as we, live, as we leave here. Realize this, that the one that is doing all that, holding us in existence every nanosecond, he's the same one who became a human being and who died on the cross to reconcile us and all of creation to himself. In other words, the, the, the one who's sustaining us is... His very nature is self-sacrificial love. It's, his very nature is perfect love, which means I am being held and you are being held in existence right now by the perfect love of God. The love of God is sustaining us. Every thought we think is because God's love is holding us in existence. Every breath, your next breath is, is, gonna, is because God continues to love you. Uh, that heartbeat you just felt, do you feel that heartbeat? Well, that, that's proof that God loves you. Uh, I, I tweeted this yesterday. I, I, I said, um, if, if you doubt that God loves you, uh, just know that, that uh, the fact that you are doing that proves that he does. If you doubt that God loves you, the fact that you can do so proves that he does. Because if he didn't, you wouldn't be here. His love is holding all of us in existence, moment by moment. Uh, the, the, the next breath you breathe, heartbeat, the next movement you make, the next word you speak, all of it is a reflection of the fact that you are infinitely loved by God. And see, when we remain aware of that, the love of God is sustaining us moment by moment, sustaining all things. The, the love of God is the cosmic glue that holds everything together. 
And when we remember that and live in that and see the world that way, it just changes everything. Right now, as I'm talking, just remember that you're held in existence by the love of God, and I'm held in existence by the love of God. Just be aware of that. And, 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 look, and look how it changes things. Uh, I find that when I remember uh, that I'm held in existence by the love of God, the love of God, the perfect love of God is like the energy that's behind everything that you see, every, every thought you think. And when I look at the world that way, it, it feels like, like, like physical material existence is sort of a veneer, a thin veneer of God's perfect love. It's just, his love is holding every single thing in existence. Uh, when, I, when, I, when we remember that, that I'm held in existence by God's perfect love, I begin to see grace and beauty in ways I didn't see before. When I remember I'm held in existence by God's perfect love, I begin to find significance in things that I previously thought were insignificant. When I, when I remember that I'm held in existence by God's perfect love, well, there's kind of like, everything takes on sort of a gift quality. It's like it didn't need to be here. Uh, it's here by God's grace, his loving grace, which is speaking it into existence. Uh, I begin to see that every single thing, the fact that anything exists, is, is, is a gift. It's the gift of, of his grace, a gift of, of existence. Uh, you begin to stop taking things for granted. You begin to have a sense of gratitude for everything because it doesn't need to be here. And you didn't deserve it. It just is. And there's a gratitude that begins to well up in your heart. We swim in an ocean of God's perfect love. His God, God's love is all around us. It's, it's in us. It's holding us together. And yet we rarely see it. We rarely see it and appreciate it. And the reason is because we tend to look at the world and interpret the world through the lens of our, of our self-interest. We look and interpret the world through the lens of our, of our own needs and our own desires and our own ambitions and our own pain and our worries and our busyness and our preoccupation. And all that dulls our perception so that we cannot see the real nature of things. We, 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 we see the world through the spectacles of ourselves, the spectacle, the lens of me. And me gets in the way of the truth because the truth is that everything is held in existence by a perfect, self-sacrificial, Calvary-looking love. That's the cosmic glue that holds everything together. So our prayer has got to be, Lord, help us to, to, to take off the, the lens of me, to see the way things really are. Help us to remember that we're held in existence by the perfect love of God. Help us to see the beauty of that love all around us and the glory of that love and the wisdom of that love all around us. It doesn't mean that everything you see, it reflects God's love because a lot of what you see is the result of what free agents do. God may not love that, but the fact that they exist and the fact that this cup exists and the stand exists and that you exist and, yes, even that the mosquito exists, it's held in existence by the love of God. And, Lord, help us to see that. See, that's, that's what it means to believe that the world is created by Jesus Christ. The world's created by Jesus Christ. It's also created for Jesus Christ, the text tells us. Which simply means that everything that exists exists for him. He's the reason for everything. He's the purpose for everything. Not just human beings. He's the ultimate purpose for the Higgs boson particle, if that turns out to exist. He's the purpose for every molecule. He's the purpose for everything. Now, Paul fleshes the meaning of this out a little bit in a passage that I preached on several months ago in Ephesians 1. Love this passage. Uh, verses 8 and, 9, 8, 9 and 10 say this. With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he, poured in, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. That just means when this epoch of history is up, when this probational epoch is done, here's what we're going to find. 
to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, this term, anakephalao, that Paul uses, it's a Greek term, it's a combination of ana, which means up into, and kephale, which is the word for head. It's a very odd word. Because here Paul is saying that, that the end game of creation, the end game, the purpose for it all, is to take the entire creation from the beginning of time and to have it integrated and harmonized into Christ as head, or into him as Lord. Paul is saying that, that, that the whole creation, giving us this picture of this whole creation from the beginning of time, that every part of that will be reconciled to God and will find its proper place in Christ, harmonized with everything else in Christ. It's, it's, you get a picture of the end game of creation being for, God, for God's love to weave together everything from the beginning of time and redeem everything from the beginning of time to now, to now weave a beautiful tapestry that will put on display the glory and the beauty and the wisdom of Jesus Christ throughout eternity. So that the entire creation from the beginning of time and us as part of creation from the beginning of time will be God's masterpiece, a work of art, a trophy that will put on display the love that created it and the love that perpetually sustained it and the love that redeemed it. And we have a role within that. It's a magnificent picture of the purpose of creation. Everything is made for Jesus Christ. And see, to see everything as, as created for Jesus Christ means that you view it as part of that tapestry. That's its ultimate purpose, to see how it, it's... It, what its destiny is in this beautiful tapestry that God is even now weaving together uh, that will put on display the beauty of Christ. It's a little bit like this. Uh, my, my granddaughter, Sage, and yes, this is a grandpa moment where I love to put on display the beauty of my grandkids. So uh, bear with me here. Uh, one of the things that Sage, my, my granddaughter, loves to do is put together puzzles. And, and, and she is, I have to say modestly, a genius at putting together puzzles. <laughs> Uh, she just turned four, and she's already, already putting together eight-year-old puzzles. <laughs> now, talk about precocious. I cheat a little bit, okay? I, 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 I do cheat a little bit. I, I, I will bump the right piece in front of her now and then. But still, come on! She just turned four. So, so we put together these, these, these puzzles. And, and it's like this, although this is, you know, way beneath what my granddaughter can do. <laughs> okay, but... Um, You'll get the point here. So, so here's the thing. The, the, the goal, as we're putting together puzzles, is to figure out where does this piece belong? Doi. Um, and, and, and see, we're really asking the, the thing. We're trying to understand the piece. We really, the piece itself is a puzzle to us until we can figure out how it fits into the puzzle. We don't understand the nature of, of this piece, so we look for it, and then we see, ah, it contributes to the beauty of this picture right there. And see, now we know uh, what the meaning of that piece is. See, it's the same thing for us. We are all, each one of us, uh, a piece sort of, uh, if you will, of a, of a cosmic puzzle. We have a role to play within this magnificent tapestry of creation that, that the love of God is weaving together, which means each one of us individually has an utterly unique role to play, an utterly significant role to play. The only, one of a kind, no, no two of these pieces are identical. We have a role to play. Uh, 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 we have, each one of us has a unique way of putting on display the glory of God and contributing to the beauty of the whole. And for each one of us, that, that role is indispensable. 
Sometimes people think of like their life as insignificant and meaningless because they don't have this talent or that or whatever. But see, you're you and you're the only you that is and, and only you can play the part that you're supposed to play within the, the, the tapestry of God. If, if you're not there, this, this tapestry isn't beautiful. You see, this happened to Sage and I once. We were putting together this, this uh, puzzle. And what we got done, found out that the, the producer or the, the creator of this puzzle had left out a piece like this. And it was so discouraging. You put all that time into a puzzle, and now it sucks because there's a piece missing. And it doesn't matter if it was a small piece. It doesn't matter if this is a giraffe head as opposed to the bear or he's not pink like the pigs are or whatever. No, this isn't a very good picture. Why? Because a piece is missing. And see, each one of us has that role to play. We're created for this purpose. We're created for this design. We're sustained with this love. And, and, and this is our ultimate definition. We are created for Jesus Christ. Uh, we have a role to play in this magnificent tapestry, which, which means this. If you think about it, we are most ourselves. We, we, we live our, out our true created nature only when we are surrendered to Jesus Christ, only when we're living for Jesus Christ. We're created for that purpose. So if we're not doing that to that degree, we're living contrary to our nature and really contrary to reality because uh, what's real is that the love of God is sustaining everything in existence for the purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ every nanosecond. So that's why we, to the degree that we live in rebellion and, 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 and are Lord of our own life and do our own thing and call our own shots, to that degree, we're going to experience unfulfillment in our life, incompleteness, an alienation, a sort of pain. Why? Because we're living contrary to our actual nature in uh, contrary to the way things actually are. It's a bit like this. Uh, one time, Sage and I were doing a puzzle, and we, there's one piece we couldn't fit anywhere. Chris couldn't find any place for it. Come on now, come on now. Okay, I'll take this one. Oh, now the whole thing's falling apart. Great. Okay. She's a lot better at this stuff than I am. No, this, 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 it, we couldn't fit it anywhere. And it finally occurred to us that this, this piece didn't belong to this puzzle. <laughs> it was out of place. Well, see, when, when, we, when we don't live in submission to Christ and we just do our own thing, we're living as if we belong to a different puzzle. We're living as though we didn't fit into this creation. We're living like we, we live in a world where it's appropriate to be Lord of your own life and call your own sh- shots and don't submit to anything. But see, the real world is the one that Christ created, the one that exists for him. And, and so if we're living as though we belong to a different puzzle, we're out of place. We just don't fit. And we feel that. To the degree that we don't submit to Christ, we, we feel a sort of incompleteness, this alienation. We feel out of place. There's going to be some anxiety in our life and some pain. If we want to experience the full depth of joy and peace of what it is to be the you that God created you to be, we'll only find that when we surrender everything over to him. To find the joy and the peace uh, that God wants us to, to enjoy being the created beings that we are. It means that we have to accept the fact that we and everything else exists for Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all by Jesus. It's all for Jesus. And it all belongs to Jesus. And see, that's what's real. That, that's what's sustaining everything. And so we have peace when we live that way because we're living in harmony with the way things are. But we have anxiety and alienation when we don't because we're living in contradiction to the way things actually are. We find joy and peace when, when we live, when, when we let go, when we realize it belongs to Jesus Christ. So we live with, with open palms. Your life, my life, it doesn't belong to us. We didn't create it. Uh, you know, it doesn't belong to us. It's, our life is given by Christ. 
And it exists for Christ. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. So we can't cling to it. We can't own it. We can't act like it is ours. Um, uh, it belongs to him, so we've got to let it go. We can enjoy our life. He wants us to enjoy our life. But we can't cling to it. No, it's, we, we've got to live with a kind of mindset of easy come, easy go. Um, you know, it's just, just let it go. Uh, it belongs to him. And the same is true for everything that we own. Our house, our car, clothes, money, time, and talents. They're not yours. They're his. Don't cling to them. Let them go. They belong to him. They exist for him. Even our friends and our kids, our spouse, our work, our play, our sex, our sleep. It all belongs to him. It's by him. It's for him. So we can enjoy it. He wants us to enjoy it. But don't cling to it. Don't ever go, mine. Uh Uh-uh. It's not yours. It's his. It belongs to him. And let it go. When we cling to it, we're living contrary to the way things actually are. And that is the source of incredible pain and misery. I think most of the misery in our life is a result of that. Trying to hang on to stuff when it belongs to him. We're to live surrendered over to him. Every aspect of our life. Surrendered over to him. And and remember, the one one that we're surrendering to, remember this, the one that we're surrendering to is the embodiment of perfect love and joy and peace. He's the incarnate Jesus Christ. And so he makes himself the goal of everything, not because he's egotistical or, or narcissistic. He makes himself the goal of everything because he wants to share himself with everything, including us. He wants to take the joy and the peace and the love that he is and now have us participate in it. So, of course, he's the goal of everything. And, 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 and the way we participate is by surrendering it all over to him. That's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 1, when he says, in the end, everything will be drawn up into the head, the lordship of Christ. And that's how we dance, with the, we, we receive and we reflect the love and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's the end game for everything. It's all integrated and harmonized into Christ. And now one more thing. Uh, and this, this, this one just blew my socks off this week. I, I, Lord, help us to receive this. Uh, pod parishioners, whatever you're doing, stop and listen to this. Uh, except if you're jogging, you can keep on jogging, but slow down and pay attention. Always remembering that you're being sustained by the love of Christ. Here's the thing. Paul, in this passage, we saw it, he, he uses the most incredible language to glorify Christ. Uh, it's just... All these superlative terms. You're above all things. Uh, you're before all things. All things are, for, are by you and for you, and you, you sustain them. You're the destiny of all things. Incredible, magnificent language. But now realize that Paul, the Christ that he's talking about, is a contemporary human being. A guy who lived 20 to 30 years before Paul wrote this. He's saying, using this incredible language about Jesus Christ. The man, Jesus Christ. It's... it's it's, it's really mind-boggling. Think about this. What would you think if I, if I were to uh, say uh, Martin Luther King? He was not just a great man. No, no, Martin Luther King was before all things. He created all things. He's above all things. He sustains all things in existence right now. He's the purpose for all things. All things will find their destiny as they're integrated, the whole creation integrated into Martin Luther King. What would you think about that? I think you'd go... Okay, dude, you're getting, he's a, he was a great man. You're getting a little carried away. I mean, see, there, there's, a, there's a dissonance that's created when you, when you take the, 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 the bigness of the creation and, and the even infinitely bigger God and, and contrast it with and bring it together with a small human beings. God is big, human beings are small. To bring the two together creates this kind of jarring effect. Even more so in the case of Christ because he's not just a human being. He's a human being who died a God-forsaken death. 
And so we're taking the bigness of God and the bigness of creation and bringing it into position with the smallness of a human being. But we're also taking the glory of God and the glory of creation and combining it with a man who died an inglorious death. And it just creates this jarring effect. It's shocking that Paul is saying this about a man who died a God-forsaken death on the cross. But see, in this jarringness, in this shockingness, is revealed a, a, a profound, profound, and very, very practical truth. Because um, what it reveals is that, that the love, the kind of love that creates and holds all things together is a self-sacrificial love that is revealed in smallness. God out of love became small, and God out of love sacrificed himself on the cross. And that's the kind of love we're swimming in right now. That's the kind of love that's holding us in existence right now. That's the kind of love that's sustaining everything by his powerful world. The, the, the nature of the love that creates all things and holds all things together and is the destiny of all things was revealed when the infinite God became a microscopic zygote in the womb of Mary and then died a common criminal's death on Calvary. That's the nature of the love that sustains us. The ocean of love we swim in is an ocean of love that delights in smallness. And see, this confronts, I think, a common fallen misconception that we tend to have. We tend to think of God in terms of his bigness. God's big, big, very, very, very big. And, 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 uh, and so we think that he's in the big stuff, in the impressive stuff. Because he's, he himself is big and impressive. And we go, wow, at God. And so we tend to think that God is in the wow of things. So God's really moving when you see a wow megachurch, and God's really moving when you see a wow revival, or a wow movement, or a wow heroic kingdom effort, or, a, or wow miracles. God's really in all that stuff, but not so much in my ordinary, mundane, trivial life. Changing diapers. Yeah, God, God's not so much into that. Oh, he's in the big stuff, not in this. Now here's the thing, God does do, so he, he, he does wow sometimes. The whole creation is a magnificent wow. Yes, he does that. But the nature of that wow, Holy Spirit, help us to receive this. The nature of that wow is revealed not in the wow, but in the small, in the insignificant, when he becomes a human being and dies on the cross. That's the greatest wow of all, that God would do this, that God makes himself small. He's a God who delights in, in the small, in the insignificant. Think about this. Jesus Christ is the perfect revelation of God, right? Jesus Christ is the perfect revelation of God, right? Somebody say right. I talk about that all the time here. He reveals what God is like, and it's because every moment of his life, every moment of his life was submitted to the Father. He did the Father's will. He manifested the kingdom. Uh, he didn't just start doing that when he, when he was baptized and began his ministry. No, he was that all the time, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, there you go. Because he was sinless. Now think about this. For the first 30, year of his, 30 years of his life, we know hardly anything about him. But he was still doing the will of God perfectly back then. For the first 90% of Jesus' life, he didn't do the wow stuff, he did the little stuff, the insignificant stuff, the changing diaper stuff. He perfectly did the will of the Father, but he did it by obeying his mom and dad. He did it by helping out around the house. He, he, he manifested the kingdom of God by pounding a nail into, into wood and learning how to make chairs. He did the will of God perfectly by, by, by taking care of the family mule and cleaning up its poop. And he apparently did the will of God by helping out his mother and changing his younger brother James's diaper now and then. He did the perfect will of God by doing the house chores and, 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 and carrying the water and, and, and a trillion other little insignificant things. But know this, that was as much... The manifestation of the kingdom of God is when he began to do the wow stuff, the miracle stuff, the teaching stuff, the deliverance stuff. But the first 90% of his life, 
it just didn't register. It wasn't the kind of thing that, that you would write about. But it is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And so it is, as we pattern our life on his, we've got to know that the way to live in the belief that all things are created by Christ and for Christ, it's going to be mostly about doing little things, but doing them in a way that reflects Christ's love. We align our will with the will of the, the love that is sustaining all things. We do it when we pour ourselves into the small because the love that sustains all things is a love that delights in the small by pouring ourselves into the ordinary. The kingdom of God is mostly about little things. That's why Paul says, let everything you do be done in love. Everything. Not just public things. Not just impressive things. No, let everything you do, changing diaper kind of things, let that be done in love. Do everything in love. And when we do that, the most trivial thing can become an act of worship because we're doing it in the love of Christ. In fact, what that means is that for a kingdom person who's living in love, nothing is trivial. Nothing is trivial because we're bringing the love of God to it. Living for Jesus, then, is, is mostly about pouring ourselves out into the little things. It's going to mostly be about things like changing diapers. Is this something weird with this microphone? Or did my hearing just go weird? What's the deal? Something's going on. Hello, hello, hello. All right. I'm almost done, so I'll just talk very, very loud. Uh, uh, uh. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let everything you do be done in love, including the way you respond to a microphone that doesn't work and you want to break it. No. Be kind to microphones. No, see, the kingdom of God is mostly about the little stuff, the small stuff, the stuff that, that we think would be trivial. The kingdom of God is mostly about things like, 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 like changing diapers and, and fixing the door and, and going to work in the morning to support your family. It's, it's mostly about how, how you care for, for your pet because God cares about that pet and how you care about the welfare of other animals because God cares about them. We judge things. We think that some things are more important than others. But see, in the kingdom, God, we live in congruity with a love that delights in getting small. And so we look for the kingdom in the small things. It's about how you treat your spouse moment by moment and how, you, how you're considerate to strangers and welcome strangers and are considerate to neighbors and how you serve enemies and pray for your enemies and, and, and how you treat your kids and make little sacrifices for your family and friends and then even for your enemies. It's about stuff that doesn't register on most people's uh, radar screen. Sometimes God might call you to do a wow, heroic thing, wonderful, but most of the kingdom is about the small and the trivial because Christ created all things and all things are for him and most things that he creates are the little things. And so the, he, he's a God who becomes incarnate at a particular time, in a particular place, in relationship to particular people. So also, we who are submitted to that God have to be a people who manifest his love by becoming incarnate, if you will, focused uh, this particular moment with this particular person, with this particular task, and pouring ourselves into this now, here and now. The kingdom of God is mostly about small stuff. I, 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 the truth is that I am manifesting the kingdom and participating in the kingdom as much, if not more, when I, in love, am helping my granddaughter with a puzzle as when I'm up here talking to you right now. It's true. We think, oh, no, because when you talk, you're talking to a lot of people, and it's going to impact a lot of people. But see, that's just because we're judges. We know the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so we rank things and file things and all that kind of stuff. God doesn't do that. No, God is a God who becomes small, and man, does my granddaughter matter to him? And so how, how he, how your pet matters to him. 
and your spouse matters to him and your neighbor matters to him. And that broken door that you said you're going to fix matters to him. And the work that you don't like going to, but it puts bread on the table, that matters to him. A trillion other little things. Mother Teresa said this, and I'll end with this. We can do no great things, only small things with great love. Isn't that good? We don't do great things. Uh, just a lot of small things, but we do great love. And so our prayer has got to be, Lord, help us to bring great love to small things. Not just to sort of save it for the big occasions. No, to bring great love to small things. To bring great love to trivial things. Because when you bring great love to trivial things, they're not trivial. So for living in love, nothing is trivial. To bring great love to small things. To live in sync with that love that sustains us, creates us and sustains us in all things. To live in sync with that means walking with a mindset where you stay awake and you remember that it's God's love that holds in existence. Try to remember that and look at the world that way. And then to submit to it, to participate in it. This love that sustains all things is a love that delights in getting small. All things, every moment, have been created by Christ and exist for Christ. And our purpose in life is to, in our own utterly unique and utterly significant way, to reflect that truth. I'm going to end in prayer. And uh, as I do, I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come forward. And if you're here and have any need whatsoever, it doesn't matter how, quote-unquote, trivial it is. God cares about the hairs on your head. So if you lost a hair this week and and it's bothering you, come up and get prayer for that. It doesn't matter. By that criteria, I'd be up here every week getting, getting prayer. But whatever the issue is, and in fact, I encourage you, throughout the worship service, we have folks, uh, you know, next week when you come, there's folks that are aligned along the side of the building, and, and they love to pray for you. And so uh, take advantage during the worship time. But the altar is open uh, if you want to receive prayer this morning. Uh, Father, I, I just thank you, God, that you're a God of the small, a creator of the little, uh, that you care about us, little people, in every little part of our, our lives. And God, I think you're, that you're a God who, who you were willing to pour yourself out for the people on this little planet who were in rebellion. And you became one of us. You became small and died on a cross for us. I pray every person in this room and every person hearing uh, through podcast or any other means would, would have, have submitted to you and received that and would be living in that. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, Holy Spirit, will you remind us over and over again to pay attention to the small and to pour ourselves out in the small and to manifest your love in every way possible. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Go out and love on the world.